0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of FitRx. I'm your host, Dr. Greg Dennis. And if you have listened to this podcast at all, then you know that we have talked a lot about keto, high fat, low carb style of eating, intermittent fasting, that kind of thing. So we're going to go a little bit more uh, in depth uh, today on that. My author is Ben Azadi. Did I just say author? I am guest. an author, so <laughs> he is an author. You're accurate there. <laughs> uh, my, my guest is Ben Azadi, who who is an author. So Ben is the founder of Keto Camp. Uh, he is a former uh, obese man himself, which I'm sure we'll hear his story. He uh, now is a three times best selling author, uh, one of which is the book we're going to talk about called Keto Flex. He has his own podcast called. Uh, the keto camp podcast, and he is a, a national speaker as well. So very grateful to have him on the show. So Ben, welcome to the show.
1: Greg, I'm grateful to be here with you. Thanks for the invitation.
0: All right. So, you know, the very first chapter of your book of keto flex, uh, it's titled from despair to hope. And and so let's use that uh, to tell us about just kind of your journey, how you got started you know, in this space, and and just what got you into researching this, and then motivation to to writing these books on health.
1: I got into the health space in two thousand and eight, so about thirteen years ago, where I was twenty four years old at that time, working a nine to five job that I was not excited about, and I was obese at that time. I weighed two hundred and fifty pounds. I had thirty four percent body fat, physically obese, but also mentally obese and mentally bankrupt, thinking toxic thoughts, going through depression, going through suicidal thoughts, exploring suicide and and stopping myself because I would just, I kept thinking about my mom if I took my own life and what she had would have to deal with. And, you know, the reason, part of the reason why I was so unhealthy is because I chose to eat a standard American diet, which as you know, is a very toxic diet um, filled with processed foods and really tasty foods, but foods that are not going to serve our health. And I didn't really understand nutrition, I didn't understand fitness, I didn't understand ketosis, or intermittent fasting, I just followed along what my friends were doing. So I had bad addictions, video games, drugs, my environment. And at this point in my life, I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was broken, broken, ready to make a change. I knew I wasn't going to take my life. So I had to figure things out. And I knew that it had to start with my health, because your health is your wealth. If you want to have energy to do things, you have to be healthy to have that energy, So I started to read books for the first time in my life, besides school, I read books from amazing authors like Dr. Wayne Dyer. I read books from Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn, and a few other legends out there. And it really helped me just take ownership over my circumstances for the first time in my life. I no longer played the victim card. I played the victor card and I started to focus on my health and my nutrition and my exercise. And nine months after taking responsibility, I went from 250 pounds down to 170 pounds 34% Wow. 34% body fat down to 6% body fat, size 38 waist to size 30. So I finally carved out this physical six pack that I always dreamed of being this kid that was bullied and picked on for being overweight. But Greg, the most important thing I believe I achieved was a mental six pack. I started to think better thoughts. I started to understand how important those thoughts were and how they how they are important to this day. And that's what got me started ever since my transformation I left my job. I became a personal trainer. Um, I was one of those mobile personal trainers traveling to clients. I ended up opening up a CrossFit gym and then selling oh, the wow. CrossFit gym. And then I became certified as a functional health coach. And I started working with some of the most amazing doctors in the world that I work with this day, Dr. Pompa being my mentor, the main one. And uh, yeah, ever since then, I've been on a mission to get the message out there because I saw what it did to me, saw what it did to my dad. My dad ended up losing his life from from the complications of diabetes and it's unnecessary suffering that a lot of people are going through if we could just do our part and as you know identify that interference remove that interference then the a body could heal we have this innate intelligence within us and that's what i want to do i want to get the message out there so ketoflex was a manifestation of some of the research i've done over the years
0: well, well good for you well congratulations on all that thank um, you so what do you feel like was the turning point because I see obese patients on a daily basis. And, you know, I have this conversation I just had it today. Uh, you know, I have it on a daily basis about, Hey, you know, you, you got to change. Or I had a new patient today that was on a you know whole list of medications. And I'm like, you know, we can get you off these medications, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be motivated. You gotta change your lifestyle. Now some will, and, and they'll flip a switch and they'll do it just as you did some never do, you know, what, what was the turning point? Like what for you specifically just kind of flip that switch and you're like, all right, I'm, I'm doing this.
1: Mm. And it's an important question. I, I believe reasons come before results. So having a strong why makes the how much easier for me at the beginning when I was rock bottom, rock bottom was, is, was, is, was actually a blessing for me. I didn't understand it being rock bottom, but now that I look back, it was a blessing for me because it forced me to change things. So. Um, for me, in the beginning, the change was because I wanted to actually get back at my ex girlfriend uh, who broke up with me at that time, which kind of put me into that depression. But that's a shallow reason. As I started to get healthy, I started to see how much better I felt. I started to have more goals and ambitions. And then my real purpose started to reveal to myself. And that's when it came, became really efficient. And I, I stayed on course because I started to figure out what was important to me. What was my highest values, my purpose? And then I started to live on purpose with my purpose. So that is how anybody can do it. The obese patients that you're working with, somebody who's going through depression right now, somebody's going through a tremendous amount of symptoms and challenges, that can be a blessing if you use it. It could be a true blessing. And, and it's all on the way, not in the way. A lot of people say, I tried keto and I stopped after seven days. I'm such a failure. Or I, you know, Try to follow what Greg recommended to me, but I stopped. I'm such a failure. If there's one message I want to get out, it's, it's that there's no such thing as a person that is a failure. Failure is an event. And as long as you can learn from that, that failure becomes wisdom. So we want to make sure we have support, like you give support to your clients. You want to make sure you control your environment, but you do want to take it just one day at a time. Small tweaks will, would lead to giant peaks. I really believe you just take those small steps forward every single day, you'll gain that momentum. It's like pushing that, that boulder up the hill. And then eventually it's going down and you got that momentum, but it starts with that one change. And then you want to stack changes on top of that, but you got to get clear on your why, why do you want to lose 200 pounds? Why do you want to get off your medication? Once that why is clear, keep it in front of you and remind yourself all the time about that. And then when life throws you challenges, that why is going to keep you pushing forward.
0: Uh, great advice. Um, so as you started reading about, you know, all this and reading about nutrition and, and in your book, in the first chapter, you dispel some myths about calories in versus calories out. You talk uh, you know, a little bit about cholesterol, uh, which these concepts shouldn't be foreign to my listeners, but talk about maybe some of the things that, that you learned and, and maybe some of those myths there.
1: Yeah. One of them is the calories in versus calories out. There's two types of camps out there. The the camp that tells you, hey, if you want to lose weight, all you got to do is track your calories, eat less, move more, get into a deficit, and you'll get your desired effect. That's one side. The other side is saying, well, you know, calories do matter, but are they really that important? Is it more of a distraction to what really matters, which is hormones and cell metabolism? In the beginning, I was on the camp of calories in versus calories out. I used to do seminars about the science of fat loss and Uh, I realized I was doing my community a big disservice. I'm not a calorie denier. I think calories do matter, but I do think there are more important things to focus on. And that's cellular inflammation, metabolism, hormones. So that's what I mean by focusing on health, not weight loss, because the body doesn't lose weight to get healthy. It gets healthy to lose weight. And how you get healthy is reducing cellular inflammation, sensitizing your hormones, doing the things to put in the work to remove that interference. So That's that one myth that I hope we could uh, <laughs> come to an agreement about because a lot of people are still arguing about this, Greg. I don't know if you see it, but anytime I post about calories in versus calories out, I get a lot of the fitness uh, people come after me telling me that I'm crazy, that all you have to be is in a, in a deficit, but I don't agree with that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. So
1: Yeah, so that's the first one. And then the second one, like you mentioned, is cholesterol. Uh, oh my gosh, have we been duped, my friend, because ever since Ansel Keys back in the 1950s came up with that, seven-country study, um, which was really 22 countries that he studied, he cherry-picked this data, he fooled the United States, he fooled the world, and we're still dealing with those consequences. We know that cholesterol is essential. I mean, if you think about the cell membrane, which is the intelligence of the cell, the bodyguard of the cells, that membrane It's made of protein, saturated fat and cholesterol. How could cholesterol be, be bad if your cell membranes is made of it? uh, cholesterol helps make your sex hormones. It helps your body produce, uh, store vitamin D and produce vitamin D. It is essential. It is not the bad guy. Uh, this is a quality, stable fat that could actually support the body and actually help you reduce inflammation. So those are two myths that hopefully, uh, we could get clear on starting today.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and like I said, my, my audience, um, you know, hopefully that's not the first time they've heard this. Uh, you know, I've done several, uh, podcasts on, on cholesterol, or I've talked about it a lot and yeah, no, no doubt. It's, it's one of, if not the biggest deceptions of our time, I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, I had Dr. Uh, Nadir Ali. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Yeah. I love his um, work. Yeah. 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 So uh, he's, he's been on my show and so he kind of di- dispelled a lot of those myths and he's uh, you know he's fantastic, and he breaks down the studies and goes in depth. So if anybody wants to hear more about you know cholesterol, uh, go back and listen to that podcast. So yeah, I couldn't agree agree more. So you you mentioned you know kind of cellular health, energy, hormones, and you you have a whole chapter on that. And and so uh, just talk about that a little bit more if you would.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So when we when we think about when we view the body from a cellular view, we'll see the body has about fifty to seventy trillion cells inside the body. And the, the cells have an amazing job. It's like an orchestra that's taking place every single second. Every cell I mentioned has this lipid bilayer around it, that cell membrane. And then we have these integrated integral membrane proteins, also called receptor sites that are integrated into the membrane, into the cell. One cell has about 30,000 of these receptor sites. And think of the receptor sites as an antenna signal. An antenna signal's job is to receive a signal and to produce a job these receptor sites are very similar. They receive signals, tell your cells and DNA and mitochondria to produce a specific job. So if they communicate with your hormones, with your nutrients, with your oxygen, with your thoughts, if there is cellular inflammation, then this communication is going to be, there's going to be dysfunction. It's like, if I put the mute button here on my zoom and I'm speaking to you, Greg, you'd be frustrated because you can't hear me Uh, And I'd be frustrated because you can't hear me. There's going to be dysfunction. That's what's happening when we have too much inflammation. So focusing on cell metabolism and finding ways, identifying ways to remove interference and reduce cellular inflammation makes your hormones do a better job at communicating with those receptor sites. So that chapter covers the basics of that. Uh, Of course, we have the mitochondria within every cell. There's hundreds of thousands of mitochondria. Uh, As a matter of fact, some of the more more metabolically active cells like the eyeballs, the brain, the heart could have um, 20 to 30 to 50,000 mitochondria in a single cell. What's interesting is that the ovaries uh, actually have the highest concentration of mitochondria within the cells, about 100,000 mitochondria in a single ovary cell. And it's really magnificent because I believe in God, I have a strong faith, but you could replace that word with mother nature or the universe. But the way that we were created, it would make sense that the organs in our body that are needed for survival have the highest concentration of mitochondria, the heart, the eyeballs. So the heart, of course, for beating and uh, for for living, but the eyeballs for looking at your prey or running away, the ovaries for reproduction, the brain for performance, it's really remarkable. So these mitochondria, are the energy power plants of the cells? They produce energy, they produce ATP. A lot of people who have weight loss resistance or they're dealing with a s- certain symptom or disease, they have mitochondrial dysfunction, and it's because their membrane is inflamed. So if you could increase cellular fun, well, when you decrease inflammation, you'll increase cellular function, and that's what the chapter talks about.
0: So give us some. I mean and this could be a whole podcast just on this this one chapter but uh you know kind of give us a summary of how we best do that like h- how do we decrease inflammation how do we optimize our mitochondria
1: well of course keto ketosis could be a great way to do that because when we think about the troyan cells there's only two options for for energy either the cells are burning glucose sugar or the cells are burning fat and uh using ketones those are pretty much the two primary options. When somebody is stuck as a sugar burner, like I was when I was obese for the first 24 years of my life, that's a fast way to age yourself. It'll create a lot of inflammation. It creates a lot of toxic smoke, cellular byproducts because cells produce energy. Like I mentioned, that energy produces toxins. And when you're burning glucose, you produce more toxins. So I compare a cell that's burning glucose and only glucose to a Mack truck that's speeding through the streets with all this smoke being blasted out of the exhaust pipe. That Mack truck is not healthy for the surrounding environment. Well, when your cells are burning glucose, it's not healthy for your cellular environment. So if you could teach the body to become a fat burner instead of a sugar burner, that's a cleaner source of energy, similar to a Tesla cruising through the streets. So that's where I would start. Increase your healthy fats, decrease your total carbohydrates, and that's a perfect start for somebody to reduce inflammation.
0: Yeah, that's so funny that you said that because I use a very similar analogy when I'm explaining all that. Except I, I use a Toyota Prius uh, for the fan. Mm. You know, <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, but, but no, you're you're absolutely right. No, it's a very it's very efficient uh, way to burn fuel. So uh, those analogies,
1: okay. those analogies are important because it takes the science and it really helps somebody understand. So I love that you share those too. That's
0: right um so you have a chapter on the food groups uh, on the protein fat carbs you know the micronutrients and then you throw alcohol in there so kind of give us a just a summary of that chapter and the importance of of that
1: yeah i threw that in there just so people could kind of get a, a basic understanding of the macronutrients we know that there's certain calories per gram of, of each protein fat and carbs But the main purpose of that chapter is to help people understand that the hormone insulin is the bully of the block right Insulin is not inherently bad. Insulin, we wouldn't exist today if we didn't have this production of insulin. If you looked at type one diabetics before we created exogenous insulin, they would die, right? Because insulin helps you store fat. It's a survival mechanism. The problem is spiking insulin throughout the entire day. So when we think about the macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbohydrates, we know that carbohydrates will spike glucose and insulin the highest. Then we second by protein, but protein has a different response and fat barely touches the dial on insulin. And that's why keto is so great. That's why eating more fat and protein is great because you're keeping glucose and insulin stable. That's going to help you age gracefully. That's going to keep inflammation down. So that was the main focus of that chapter to explain the macronutrients, but explain the difference between a glucose spike from carbs versus fat.
0: Absolutely. And so you have a chapter on the case for keto. And so people have heard me you know, talk again a lot about keto and how uh, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head when you start talking about insulin. And that's why it it works so well with weight loss is because we decrease that insulin, which fasting can help with that as well. Uh, I've talked a lot about fasting on here, but give me. A case for keto, which is the the, um, the title of that particular chapter, instead of when maybe when somebody says, Oh, you don't, you don't have to do keto. I mean, maybe you could do the, the Mediterranean diet, or you know, there's all kinds of diets out there. So when we compare all those, what's the case specifically for keto?
1: Yeah, and I, I named it that as a homage to my friend, Gary Tobbs who has a book called The Case for Keto, a really great book, Um, you you said it, insulin is a fat storage hormone. And when insulin is around the fat burning hormones are scattered. That's why keto could be such a great tool for weight loss. But when we think about keto, a lot of people are calling it a diet and that's fine, but technically keto is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. And it's been around since humans have existed. It's nothing new about keto. It's just a little bit more nuanced. Every one of our ancestors did Keto, their environment forced them into ketosis and it's perfectly normal and perfectly healthy. Every cell is hardwired to go through periods of feast and famine. Famine is when you get into ketosis. So keto is great because you teach your body to have this metabolic flexibility and burn fat and then burn sugar, and burn fat and burn sugar, but we primarily wanna burn fat. So ketosis, we know that a lot of research has come out that ketones could fuel the brain. Uh, As a matter of fact, I always say, that burning fat and producing ketones is our primal birthright. And the perfect example is that babies that are breastfed, they are actually in and out of ketosis because breast milk has saturated fat and cholesterol, and it actually helps the development of the baby's brain. The brain is mostly fat. So burning fat is our primal birthright. And that's the case for keto. It's nothing new. We shouldn't call it a fad diet. We should call it a lifestyle and a metabolic process.
0: Yeah, that's great. So hopefully people are listening to this because I I get new patients all the time and I'll, I'll, you know, kind of turn them towards my podcast. And so they're listening to this or motivated maybe by your story and, you know, they, they begin to learn and read and and they want to get started. So how do you recommend people get started in this lifestyle?
1: I recommend first things first is to start tracking how many carbohydrates you're currently having before you make any changes. I could tell you this, the standard American is eating about 300 grams of carbs per day. Let's say it's 300 and you can use free apps on the internet or just go on Dr. Google to check that. Uh, Once you determine how many carbs you have, then you want to decrease it maybe by 20% every single day. I wouldn't go full into keto day one. I would do a gradual decrease of the carbs to eventually drop your total carbohydrates below 50 grams for the day. Now, at the same time, you want to actually increase healthy fats, stable fats. And I have in the book called something called the 2222 two, two, two rule, which I got from my mentor, Dr. Dan Pampa. And uh, what you want to do for these fir- first 14 days is have two tablespoons of olive oil or avocado oil every single day, two tablespoons of coconut oil or MCT oil every single day, Two tablespoons of grass-fed butter or grass-fed ghee every single day, and then two teaspoons of sea salt to replenish the electrolyte. So hit that two-two-two-two rule while you're decreasing your total carbohydrates, and in about seven to fourteen days, you'll land in the great land of ketosis, and you'll be a fat burner instead of a sugar burner.
0: And so you have uh, five reasons why you can't get into ketosis, uh, and I love this because uh, I, I have this conversation a lot. Patients coming in, and and they're like you know i'm i'm doing all this but but i'm just not there and so talk about the reasons people just aren't getting into ketosis
1: yeah i don't remember all five so maybe you could help me out but I, I know one of them is um not getting enough sleep because when you are getting crappy sleep you're going to have and there's numerous studies to back this up you just have to go on scientificamerican.com or pubmed and type in sleep and sh- and glucose but What these studies show is that just one poor night of sleep categorized as less than seven hours, you'll have higher levels of cortisol the next morning, which is your stress hormone, what follows cortisol is glucose, what follows glucose is insulin. And when that goes up ketones drop. So if you are having trouble getting into ketosis, then check your sleep, make sure you're getting quality sleep each night, but the studies also show you're going to have higher levels of ghrelin, the hunger hormone, and lower levels of leptin, the satiety hormone. Not good. It's like a vicious cycle. So make sure you're getting quality sleep, number one. Uh, number two is a toxicity component. I talk a lot about uh, talk toxins because here's what happens. We store toxins in our body fat. Uh, there's a pathway called PPARY pathway, which act, which is activated when toxins enter the body. And it it's a survival mechanism. The body doesn't want these toxins to kill you right away and enter your vital organs. So it activates this pathway and shuttles the toxins into your fat cells. And you're doing keto, you're lowering your carbs, eating more fat. You're starting to burn fat, release fat cells. Well, your body could burn fat, but it can't burn these toxins that get dumped with it, which could actually raise cortisol and raise glucose and prevent you from getting into ketosis. So downstream detox tips would be eat more bitters, uh, support the liver and gallbladder, uh, coffee enemas, castor oil packs, but you might need to do something more upstream, like a heavy metals detox. So those are, those are two reasons. And I forget all the rest Maybe <laughs> you yeah. can help me out.
0: And, and I would throw a sauna, a regular sauna yes. use in there too, to, to, get rid of toxins and stuff. So, um, Great yeah. And, and so you mentioned obviously too many carbohydrates and, uh, and that's where it's, it's just important for people to track their carbohydrates. Um, you know, I've mm-hmm. been in kind of a, a cutting phase recently, uh, for just weightlifting purposes and so I've been tracking my carbs which I don't normally do and I've been surprised and I mean I do this stuff I, I teach this stuff and I've been surprised at just how easy it is <laughs> get, you know to get carbs and I'm like oh crap I'm already at, at this you know and and so um, that yeah very important just to, to you know get an app and, and track those things uh, you mentioned uh, electrolyte dumping I talk about that for a minute yes
1: Yeah, yeah, and you make a good point. It's important to track because that awareness is huge, and those carbs could creep up very, very fast. Electrolyte dumping. So what happens is when you are not doing keto, when you're eating more of a standard American diet, of course you're going to raise glucose and insulin a lot. And when you raise insulin, you store more water weight. That's why a lot of people who follow a high carbohydrate diet they feel bloated and they look bloated. Now, as you decrease your carbohydrates and get into ketosis, what's going to happen is you're going to release a lot of excess water weight, which is terrific because you'll feel lighter and look lighter, but your kidneys will also release a lot of electrolytes along the way. This is actually what the keto flu is. A lot of people call it the keto flu, which is really just carbohydrate withdrawal symptoms. And this is a big part of it. So you have this electrolyte dumping. So it's important. That's why I recommend that two teaspoons of sea salt every single day. I also talk about what's called the keto cam cocktail in that book, which is having 16 ounces with water every single day, apple cider vinegar, cream of tartar for extra potassium, and then some sea salt uh, every single day. is going to be a great way. So we want to make sure we're, we're really strategic, with replenishing those electrolytes. So you don't experience any symptoms transitioning from a sugar burner to a fat burner.
0: Very good. And then the last one you mentioned is uh, too much fasting too soon. So
1: Yeah. I love fasting. I think it's a great, amazing tool. I know you love it as well. Absolutely. However, when you are not metabolically flexible and you're so used to eating every two to three hours, which a lot of people are, and then you go into a fast, let's say you hear about the amazing benefits of fasting, you're listening to the fit RX podcast and you hear about fasting and you do a 16 hour fast tomorrow, but you haven't put in the work, it's going to look ugly. You're going to feel nasty, because you wouldn't just run a marathon without training for it. When you fast too soon, and your body doesn't have this metabolic flexibility, the brain is going to panic, it's going to freak out, because glucose is going to get low in the brain, you have no ketones to back it up to support you. And the brain will send the body intense signals for sugar and carbohydrates to get that hit of glucose. And yeah, you might have great willpower and persevere, but your body will get that glucose via gluconeogenesis, it'll break down some protein to do that, which could be, a bad thing sometimes. So you want to make sure you're getting fat adapted beforehand. That's why my first pillar in the book is the fat adaptation pillar. And the second pillar is the fasting pillar. We pair it after 14 days. Yeah. yeah.
0: No, I like that. Great advice. Um, so you have a chapter called flex and I'm assuming you're talking about metabolic flexibility. Is that correct?
1: yeah yeah exactly so it's Um, about flexing in and out of ketosis yeah metabolic flexibility burning fat burning sugar back and forth yeah
0: yeah so i've i don't know if i've mentioned that term for a long ways back at the very beginning i i did um some podcasts on how to how to burn fat and i talked briefly then about metabolic flexibility so i guess if you'll maybe describe kind of what that is and then why to me that's kind of the the ultimate goal is to to become metabolically flexible now unfortunately A lot of guys that start off, you know, really overweight. It's going to be a while before we get there, and we have to focus, you know, more on keto. But uh, so, talk about maybe what metabolic flexibility is, and then you also mentioned maybe some reasons why it may not be good uh, to be in prolonged ketosis.
1: Yeah, you know, it's estimated that 88 percent of Americans, 88 percent, are metabolically inflexible, which is crazy. Meaning, only 12 percent of us—I know we're in that group—are actually metabolically flexible, and like you said. That is the ultimate goal. I love keto. I think it's an amazing tool if you use it the right way, but I'm not one of those keto people who say you gotta be keto for the rest of your life. What we want is metabolic flexibility, metabolic freedom. Yep. So our ancestors did the same thing. Yeah, they all did keto, but they all actually flexed out ketosis when they had the opportunity. So the way that I outlined the four pillars in the the book is to first get yourself fat adapted, which is that first pillar, and then practice intermittent fasting. And we do a little bit of some carnivore. And then after about eight to 12 weeks, now we're keto adapted, different than fat adapted. Now the mitochondria are using ketones as the preferred fuel source. At this point, then we start flexing. We start having a strategic, what I call a keto flex day, or a feast day where you have higher healthy carbohydrates to get yourself out of ketosis. And if you've done it the right way, you should be able to get right back in within 48 hours. And that is metabolic flexibility. That's what we want. That's what makes this more of a lifestyle and not some fad diet. Um, And then you talked about the four reasons why in the book, I talk about four reasons why we don't want to stay in ketosis long-term. Now, since the book came out, there's actually a fifth reason as well. Um, that we could talk about, which is very, very fascinating. I actually have, I'm working on a, I'm doing a lecture next this month in Orlando at a keto summit. So I have this fresh here. So I'll talk about this fifth reason first, because it's fresh in my mind. Um, and that is an increase in uh, a nasty free radical called 4HNE, which is hydroxy- hydroxyneninol, 4HNE. Uh, I was looking at some research and it shows that this. Is a buildup. This, this toxic free radical gets built up with prolonged ketosis. What it is, when your body's burning lipids, lipid oxidation, in the beginning of keto, it builds up, but then your mitochondria adapts. It's like a hormetic response and your, your body gets stronger. But if you are in ketosis for too long, then it slowly, gradually builds up and it's been linked to cancer, it's been linked to other diseases out there. So that's a bad thing. We don't want to be in ketosis for too long because you, get a, you could get a buildup of this 4-H-N-E. And I could give you some of the studies here if you want to put in your notes. I have uh, three of them here that I'm looking at. That's one reason. Another reason is, especially for women, we want to make sure we're supporting the thyroid. And I mentioned insulin earlier. Insulin is needed for certain hormonal conversions. One of them is actually T4 hormone, which is the inactive form of thyroid to convert that to the active form of thyroid T3. And with chronically low levels of insulin, aka long-term ketosis, this conversion is going to get, it's not going to be efficient. And you could create some thyroid issues and it happens more in women than men. So by having a flex day, a higher healthy carb day, you get healthy spikes of insulin, you make these hormonal conversions. This is also true for progesterone. Progesterone is what keeps estrogen in check. And it's important to build that up especially right before a woman's menstrual cycle. And you could do that with healthy carbs and insulin. So those are just a few reasons. I talk about how fat burning slows down as well with long-term ketosis, leptin resistance, and other hormonal problems as well.
0: So you may have said this a minute ago, but uh, how often do you recommend somebody has a higher carb day? So let's just say they've been doing keto for a while and they've, they've maybe you know reached their weight loss goals. What is your recommendation You know, once a week? what do you suggest? Yeah.
1: So if they, if they're at that point, they actually reach their, their goals of weight loss. Then once, once per day, excuse me, once per week is great. So I have what's called the five one, one rule in the book. It's a seven day protocol of keto flexing. How it works is five days out of the week, you're going to be practicing your intermittent fasting schedule and you're going to be eating keto friendly meals during those five days. So you're in ketosis for those five days. The first one in that 511 rule is a 24 hour water fast. Just go dinner to dinner, lunch to lunch, which could be tremendous for the gut, tremendous for autophagy and other benefits. The final one is a keto flex day. And you could choose any day out of the week that you designate this for, but you're going to have about 100 to 150 grams of healthy carbs, no fasting, and strategically get yourself out of ketosis. So that could be a protocol for, for most people who hit their goal weight.
0: So what do you suggest with, and, and, uh, I'll use my wife as an example. She's been fairly strict keto. I mean, you know, she's probably not always in ketosis, but she's been fairly strict for gosh, years. And if so, she eats too many carbohydrates. I mean, it doesn't make her feel good. And so if somebody is having, you know, a day where they're eating higher carbohydrates like that, you know, what, uh, and, and, and say, maybe say the carbohydrates don't, you know, don't make them feel good. What do you, what do you suggest for that?
1: I've seen this with uh, a lot of individuals who have been doing keto for a long time when they have carbs, it just, they don't feel good. So it needs to be more of a gradual approach instead of having 150 grams of carbs on that day, maybe it's 70 grams instead of whatever, 40. Uh, You could also do it with just a caloric surplus on that day uh, or a protein surplus. The goal is to get more of mTOR and less uh, autophagy, less of a catabolic state. Um, For your wife, if she, you know, anybody who's having a monthly cycle, a menstrual cycle, in the book chapter 12, I have an entire chapter on um, keto and fasting for women, but for the menstruating women, I talk about the importance of doing flex days, five to seven days before the period to help build that progesterone. So those, that could be a strategy for her to do that five days prior, but instead of going up to 100 to 150 grams of carbs, it could be 70 to 75, maybe just a caloric increase or a protein increase.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Um, Well, I want to ask you about sleep because you have a whole chapter on sleep and you mentioned a minute ago, the importance of sleep. And you're absolutely right. If people aren't uh, sleeping well, if they're stressed all the time, their cortisol is going to be high, which raises insulin. So you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. And I think you've written a whole book on sleep. So talk about, um, maybe just give us some, you know, biohacks for sleep. And then you, you even mentioned maybe some sleep supplements. So what are some things we can do to help our sleep?
1: Yeah. Sleep is so important. A lot of amazing things to happen during sleep. The brain shrinks in size up to 60% during Delta stage four sleep, deep sleep. And then you have the cerebral spinal fluid flushing over the brain, flushing out toxins, accumulated plaques and proteins. You're also burning fat. Uh, And then you have REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement sleep, where you're taking short term memory and processing it for long term memory. So that's going to help with your memory. And if you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to, it's going to be difficult to lose weight, difficult to focus. It's just going to be very challenging to do what you want to do. So some biohacks that chapter, I think I have like 15 biohacks that some biohacks, basic things are going to be keep your bedroom cold, 65, 67 degrees Fahrenheit. A lot of studies show you get good, deep, restorative sleep, dark bedroom. So you could activate melatonin and decrease cortisol. That's important. You could take supplements, of course. I'm a big fan of strategic supplementation. Uh, Melatonin from a quality source could be great. Uh, You could do things like CBD oil. There's also something called banana tea, which I talk about in my book. Um, It turns out the peel of a banana has more of these micronutrients, potassium and magnesium, than the actual banana itself. So what you want to do is grab an organic banana, just boil it with water until the peel starts to turn brown a little bit and then pour that into a cup and you would discard the banana or put it into the freezer and just drink that as a tea. It's like nature's NyQuil. I learned this from uh, Dr. Michael Bruce. So those are a few things you can do, but I, I think it's so important to get that sleep right. It's a, it, Sleep is the Swiss army knife of health. And if you build that strong foundation, then keto works better. Fasting works better. Your supplements work better. Your exercise is better. It starts with sleep.
0: For sure. Yeah, I like it. Okay, so you... You also have a whole chapter in the book on recipes, and so we're not going to go through all those, but um, I would like for you to maybe give us uh, one or two of your favorite keto uh, meals or or maybe uh, uh, you know short recipes.
1: Yeah. So having like a fatty salad could be terrific. I'm a big fan of bitters, arugula, dandelion greens. I love like bok choy, broccoli, but a, a green leafy, uh, leafy greens in a big bowl with olive oil. I love olive oil and maybe some grass-fed beef or some wild-caught salmon. That could be great. I'm also a big fan. I just do really well on red meat, uh, grass-fed, grass-finished beef. I also love pastured eggs. I think those are great, but I also think it's important to avoid specific fats on keto or or any dietary approach. These, These vegetable oils, industrial seed oils, they're highly highly inflammatory. Canola oil, soybean oil, cottonseed oil, safflower oil, peanut oil, um, rice bran oil highly highly inflammatory even worse than sugar I, I've interviewed so many leaders in our space and they all agree that uh, many of them agree that they're worse than smoking cigarettes I mean they're so inflammatory we want to eat more stable fats like the 222 rule and the ones I just mentioned in those recipes so stick with the uh, real food you know it's funny I mentioned in the book that humans are the only species smart enough to create their own food and they're the dumbest to actually eat it <laughs> okay so just eat real food
0: <laughs> yeah for sure no yeah couldn't agree more well tell us um, so what exactly is the keto camp i know on your website you have a keto camp academy so mm-hmm. uh, tell us what that is
1: keto camp is my company uh we are on a mission to educate and to inspire 1 billion people to get this information into their hands we do that through our podcast the keto camp podcast which is the top 15 podcast in the alternative health space We have a YouTube channel, uh, Keto Camp on YouTube with over 127,000 subscribers. And then, of course, I have my Keto Camp Academy, which is a step-by-step online system for practicing my four pillars and getting actually coaching from me. Uh, We have hundreds and hundreds of students in there, and it's a great just all-in-one program to get the exact blueprint on what to do, how to navigate this, and how to do it for long-term strategies. So we're in a mission. We want to get the message out there, just like you're doing, Greg. And a lot of people need this information. A lot of people are going through unnecessary suffering. And if they could get this valuable information, it'll it'll change their lives. And then they'll share that with their community and it'll just be a a ripple effect.
0: Yeah. Awesome. For sure. Okay. So I'm going to kind of pin you down here because I always kind of finish up by asking my guest to give us one health tip that could make us healthier today. So uh, if you could pick one thing out of everything we've been talking about, what would you say?
1: Yeah, great question. I would say that you're, you become what you think about most of the time. And your greatest power is your ability to change your thoughts, choose your thoughts. And if you could change your thoughts, you could change your life. Uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer said, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Your thoughts could create disease or your thoughts could build health. And if that might sound a little woo woo to you, like, "Whoa, what is this guy talking about? How could your thoughts do that? Well, there's actually science to back it up. If you look at the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton, who I had on my podcast, he's proven that a thought is a frequency, a sound wave that connects to those receptor sites on your cells, penetrates the membrane and tells your DNA to produce a certain protein. If it's a toxic thought, a hateful thought, a negative thought that protein could lead to disease and inflammation. If it's a loving thought, an abundant thought, a a grateful thought, that protein could lead to health just with your thoughts. And the average person is thinking 60,000 thoughts per day. So my greatest tip that I could give you is to become really aware with your thoughts, because if your thinking is stinking, your dreams are shrinking. And that could be your health dreams, your financial dreams. It's just your entire life we don't get what we want in life. We get what we are and what we are, are those thoughts. And that could be the greatest tip I could ever give you.
0: All right. I like it. All right. So, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, they can go to Ben Azadi and it's A-Z-A-D-I.com. And yes, then you sir. mentioned you have the, um, the keto camp podcast, mm-hmm. uh, any other ways people can connect with you?
1: That's great. Uh, and it's camp spelled with a K, if anybody's wondering. And then I'm on all social media platforms. If you just type in my name, Ben Azzotti, I'll pop right up. I'd love to hear from you. I'm very, very accessible.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, I love what you're doing. Love the message you're, you're getting out there. So uh, really appreciate it and appreciate you sharing your time with us today and the book and uh, yeah, just everything. So
1: thank you, Greg. love what you're doing too. And thanks for yeah. having me. Blair.
0: Appreciate it. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we will talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to FitRx. I invite you to share this with friends and family. If you would like, you can check out our website at vibrantlifedc.com or you can email me at drgreg at